Welcome back, everybody. Firewater Flit is a true legend in our industry and made an impact both as a performer and a sire. We wanted to share his story and loved this conversation with his breeder and owner, Vicki Adams. Firewater Flit has sired earners of over $5 million and his genetics have been winning for over three decades at all levels. Vicki not only bred and raised Milo, but she had great success from her days as a winning jockey and still today as a leading breeder, and her knowledge of the sport extends far beyond a one-hour conversation. We hope you enjoy the story of Firewater Flit straight from the source. This week's episode is brought to you by the REM Mask from Expert Equine. The REM Mask helps horses sleep under artificial lights that stay on in vet clinics and big event stall barns. The REM mask is easy to use and your horse will thank you. Learn more at the commercial break or visit xpertequine.com. If you haven't already, don't forget to use code MONEYBARREL15 with our partners at BarrelRacing.com to get you a great discount to their site. BarrelRacing.com brings you instruction from some of the most respected voices in our industry, including world champion Jordan Briggs and futurity champion Andre Quelo, and so many more. Train smarter, not harder this year. Let BarrelRacing.com help you out. All right, Vicky, it's your turn. This is The Money Barrel. I am really excited for the podcast this morning. One of my goals is to share the stories of the greats in our industry. And this morning, we're getting the chance to talk to Vicki Adams about her amazing breeding program and the legendary Firewater Flit. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me this morning. Oh, I'm glad to. So, you know, why don't we just get started and go to the very beginning of your story um, and tell us a little bit about your background. Did you grow up in horses and in the breeding world? I, I did grow up in horses. I, I showed horses from the time I was five, all, you know, mostly all around, uh, you know, and did every event, Western Pleasure Horsemanship, right in barrels, poles, the whole gamut, and uh, we had a Texas Junior Horse Show Association at that time when I was growing up, and, and uh, had you know end of the year awards, and I won the all around in that. And uh, when I was in eleven and under, and then my family uh, got into the paint horses also because the paint association was founded in Gainesville, where I live, still live, by Rebecca Tyler. Oh, okay. And, my family were on the the original board of the American Paint Horse Association. So, uh, and Rebecca also owned Flip Bar, which is Forward to Flip Sire. Uh, so I, I knew Flip Bar always. Uh, and then, like I said, we got into showing the paint horse, the American paint horses. And uh, I won the High Point of Texas with my stud a couple of years. And that's when you show in several events, too. And and so we raised quite a few pains. And as a matter of fact, I had to help my mother stand two studs when I was a teenager. And I said, one thing I was going to do is I'd never stand studs when I grew up. <laughs> it was a lot of work. <laughs> but as you can well see, that's you never say never. Uh, but I certainly had a lot of experience uh, standing studs because, like I said, I had to help with them when I was a teenager. Oh, that's the, funny. Yeah, so, and then I got a really good uh, rodeo mare uh, from Tommy Wells. I'm sure you know Tommy and Phyllis when I was in high school. And that's when I kind of really got more involved in just the barrel racing because 
she was an outstanding mayor. Uh, now, when I was in high school, I only went to the open rodeos in Texas and Oklahoma. You know, I couldn't travel far. And then I did get my uh, GRA card at the time, whenever I was 18, and <clears throat> hauled her and took her. Uh, she, I won golf around to Fort Worth Stock Show, Houston uh, Stock Show, third in the average there. We had won a lot that spring. She was in the top 15, and she got hurt in July of that year. So uh, that kind of ended my first year as a card holder. But that's uh, she's, she's probably the one that got me headed you know, really in the barrel racing direction. And what was her name? Her name was Puddin' Hancock, and actually she's the great-granddam of uh, Fire on Bug that belongs to Crago Ranch. So uh, her, some of her, you know, bloodlines are still out there. Oh, that's cool. Was there ever, uh, I guess, I mean, it sounds like horses were going to be your career and your future was there any a time where you thought maybe to go outside of the breeding or was this just always what you wanted to do no it was pretty much always what i wanted to do uh my mother had bought me a mare whenever i was in grade school actually my hua number is 861 because she felt like put her in my name and let me raise colts out of her and kind of uh get me started you know with some nicer horses. So uh, I guess you'd say I've always kind of been, you know, research bloodlines, always been interested in the breeding part of it. And I, like I said, I showed paints also, and I showed a stud called Astro Deck, helped make him a Supreme Champion in the Quarter Horses. And then I made three Supreme Champions in the American Paint Association. So I did keep showing, but I was also rodeoing, but I did, I did keep showing some paints and Quarter Horses up through my early 20s. So you said that uh, your neighbor is who owned Flip Bar. Did he come into your life before Slash J Harletta? Or how did you get to the point that, you know, you had the, this mare and then thought about breeding to Flip Bar? Yes, he did. I, I wrote a couple of Flip Bars for Rebecca Tyler uh, that owned him. And, uh, my aunt had a guild and I bought from her and I won a lot on him in the open rodeos and in the and in the W. Perry rodeos and there was a couple other girls in Texas that had some uh, two outstanding uh, guildings by Flip Bar and then uh, Jimmy Monroe's mother she, she went and bought from Rebecca Tyler three young guildings by Flip Bar and, uh, and Jimmy went on and won the world on Robin's Flip Bar uh and, and so all of them ran before I bred Harletta to Flip Bar. Okay. And, yeah. And then the mare that Seely ran for me uh, a year before I bred to Flip Bar, bred Harletta uh, in the TBRA maturity. It was only maturity then at that time. The next year, Fort Smith started too. And she won reserve champion on her. And then I went on and went to NFR the next year as a five-year-old in 38 rodeos. But that was pretty unusual then because she'd only been to one fraternity. Uh, and I didn't even go to a rodeo until April because I just didn't want to stick her out there at the buildings being that young. I uh, thought it might be a little bit too much for her. In what mayor was this? What was the mayor's name? Yeah. Wabina Barflint. Okay, and was, uh, was she by Flip Bar, or how did she tie into the yes. story? Yes, she was by Flip Bar. Okay. And actually, back then at those big charities, they also had big Calcuttas. 
So, uh, like I said, see one reserve on her, want to go around. And so the money that she won that fall in uh, October in the Calcutta, I bought half a Harletta with that fall. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> Flint Bar kind of tied into the whole deal right from the, right from the very beginning. And uh, so I bought half of a Harletta the next year. Uh, I read her to Flip Bar. And uh, so, seeing that, I decided. With both of us riding and running barrels, it would be easier for us just to take every other colt than partner on each colt. You know, just be that way each person had their own horse. And so how we decided the first one is that uh, we, she wanted to breed the flip bar too. So we we're going to breed to him at least two years. He was old, so we, we knew we had to, to uh, get her bred before something happened to him. So I wanted to stud colt and she wanted to filly. So First, first one she had the flip bar. We ran out to see, of course, what it was, <laughs> and it was a stud coat. It was forward or flat. And uh, luckily, the next year she got a full sister uh, filly. So uh, we both got what we wanted. Uh, well, uh, from flip bar, and that was his very last year to stand. He passed away not too long after her filly uh, was born. Oh my gosh! Talk about like the most perfect timing you could ask for. Yes, we got real lucky that we both got one, uh, and that was her filly was his last pole crop. So before we get into into raising him, though, how did Slash J Harletta, what made you buy a portion of her, or why was she the mare that you wanted to cross on him? Well, like I said, I'm, you know, coming from the horse show business, you, you always look at confirmation. Um, you see a good-looking horse, I mean, it just catches your eye. I had met Seeley at Waco and how I met her was that I saw Harletta and just introduced myself. We were riding around the warm-up arena at the Waco Rodeo and we got talking about her breeding and, and Seeley had said well, she grew up in the horse show business too. Matter of fact, uh, Harletta was an AQHA champion. So she had been shown before Seeley with the finals on her and uh, so we just you know got to be friends and so when the fraternities came around uh, Seeley liked the young horses and, and like she wanted to really get into the fraternities and at that time i just wanted to rodeo so it worked out good and uh so she uh she took my flip bar philly that i ended up going to finals on that uh that year and ran her and so that's uh that's how i got to know harletta and um because like i said she was you know she had halter points and everything she's a beautiful mare and yeah. uh that's how we met was because of Harletta. Oh gosh, that's that's crazy just how things work out. Yes, it is. It is. So how was Firewater Flit when you were raising him? I mean, t- tell us about him that maybe the side that a lot of people don't know. Well, prob- well, you know, nowadays because a lot of people never, they never had been around him, but uh, you couldn't I mean, he rodeoed, I rodeoed with everybody. Mayor Stetter Gilded. I mean, he was just had an outstanding disposition. Uh, Seeley's a little girl. She could ride him when she was three years old. I mean, he was real broke, real light. So she could, she loved to ride him because she could spin him around and, and uh, do whatever. And he loved kids. And that's one of the things that I've always enjoyed is the fact that his offspring have won so much for the kids. But he was like that himself. He loved kids. They came to see him. They'd go in the stall, give him cookies and, and everything. And he just never forgot a person. This story is kind of hard for me to tell, but 
uh, he was older, seeing his daughter after Cindy passed away. Her dad lived in Texas, and she'd come every summer to visit. Then she'd come by and visit me and visit him, and she'd go in the stall and pet him and everything, and he'd always, you know, knew her immediately. And one time she came, and he kept smelling of her boots. And I thought, well, I've never seen him do anything like that. He just kind of, like, didn't want her to leave the stall. And she finally walked out, and I said, well, I've never seen him smell somebody's boots. She said, these are my mother's boots. Oh, my and I gosh. Was, oh, my gosh. You know, but that's, he was just a people horse. You know, he, he just zeroed in uh, those that ceiling, you know. Uh, oh, that so gives me chills. That, you know, a lot of people didn't know that, you know, it's kind of almost hard to believe. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. He just seems so personable. And, you know, at least in my knowledge of Firewater Flint, I mean, you know the name and you know everything about him or, you know, that he's such a legend. But I didn't realize that he went to the racetrack before going to the rodeos. Yes, he did. Uh, And actually, uh, he ran an 86. And at the time he ran, I didn't know until the trainer told me after the fact, he had blisters in his throat and 103 temperatures. So the last 50 yards, he just couldn't get his air and uh, should have triple A'd that day. And he said, well, you know, get him over it. I want a triple A, you know. And when we knew he wasn't a uh, racehorse to run 400 yards. That's not what he was bred to do. Mm-hmm. We just want to prove, you know, he's a triple A horse at 250, you know. And and I got after I got him over it, I got thinking, you know, I was very lucky. He didn't get hurt. He didn't get crippled. And he's really, you know, he was bred to be a barrel horse. That's what his goal was, to be a barrel horse. So I just chose not to send him back, take a chance on getting him hurt. And, you know, he wouldn't have a barrel racing career. Uh, so that's, you know, that's how that came to be. And so we, I just never did send him back to get it to, to get him AAA. We just went on, you know, to uh, train for a barrel horse. So was that when he was two, he went to the track? No, he was three. Actually. Okay. Carletta was older when we bred her, and so was Flipbar. So he was a lighter colt. So uh, I just, like I said, the main goal was for him to be a barrel horse. I didn't want him to get hurt at the track, so we, did, we didn't. We broke him a little lighter, you know, because he was a lighter born colt. And uh, so he didn't run until he was three. Okay. And then after the track, how long was it till you started barrel racing on them? And I mean, give us some insight into like what the barrel races and the fraternities were like back then, because this was before the four D's. So it was either kind of the couple fraternities you had or the rodeos, right? Exactly. And well, that uh, fall, Celie started him and then she got pregnant. And so she had it, she rode him a little bit, I guess two or three months on barrels. And uh, I was rodeoing, and so she, I, I said, well, we just, we'll just hold him over and just go to the derbies because, you know, you're uh, just the way things turned out, you know. So she, uh, she had Mary Cecilia in November of his four-year-old year, and she got back on him. And the first, she went to two or three jackpots, I guess. And the first uh, big deal he went to was in March. It was the West Texas Derby. And he won that, won the West Texas Derby. And everybody said, well, y'all are crazy. He don't have any experience. And you're putting him in against derby horses that ran all that, ran last year's dirty horses. But 
see, they had confidence in him. And so, anyway, she uh, she won the West Texas Derby, and uh, she placed at the Oklahoma Derby, Derby Deep. And that was in April or, no, first part of, I guess it was May. And so he couldn't run at Fort Smith Derby because we never thought about paying him up because he didn't run there as a fraternity horse. But she had him with her because she went over there to, with other another horse and then to run in the rodeo. And his sister, Frieda, who she went to finals on, she called me and she said, Frieda's not feeling very good. Do you care if I run him at the rodeo? I said, no, if you think, you think he's ready, I guess so, you know. And he was in, she was in a performance, and she won fourth at Fort Smith at the rodeo. Uh, and there been one. And so then coming home, there's Hugo. It's another big rodeo. Everybody goes to Fort Smith and Hugo, Oklahoma. So she said, well, I'll go ahead and run him there on the way home. She ran him there and won it. And uh, so she ran him some. He helped her. I never advertised this because I am a stickler on how things should be if a horse really qualifies for the NFR or if he has health. Right. And Barwater Flint helped get Sealy to the finals that year. Uh, she wrote him and Frietta. But I don't say he is an NFR horse like a lot of people do because Frietta also won a lot of the money. So, but anyway, but he was a five-year-old, and that was his first year of competition. And then uh, I got on him, I guess, in August of his five-year-old year, and won a couple of rodeos, and then uh, I won the uh, TBRA for der- Derby on him. I won the Champion Champions Derby, won the Dallas State Fair Rodeo. It's a big rodeo. Placed at several rodeos that fall. Of his first, that was his first year of competition as a five-year-old. Wow. I mean, that's that's just so impressive. Um, I mean, especially two different riders, you know, the, the breaks he had. Like, he just took to it. He did. He, he, he just, he did. He was just natural and... He, you know, he just, uh, of course, Celia and I rode each other's horses all the time. So that part of it wasn't hard for him or us. But, uh, but yeah, he, uh, he just took to, he took to the rodeos. Like I said, when she rode him Fort Smith, he'd never been to a rodeo. Well, he'd only been to about, oh, he'd been to three derbies, I guess, is all. Uh, and then she rode him there. But, so he just took to it and things didn't bother him. I mean, at the state fair, we had to park two miles from the Coliseum, and and see this little girl was just a one year old, and she said, "Well, I can't care take her over there on Frieda. You know, she could get stirred up going across these fair, going across this car by this carnival and all this. So I put her in front of me because I knew we could count on him. So things just didn't he just didn't bother him. He could ride right by the carnivals or whatever, you know. That's so cool. How long did you actively compete on him? I only got to compete on him. Well, that year, you know, we both rode him not a ton, but quite, you know, at the rodeos and stuff. And then the following year, I ran like the fastest time at San Antonio, fastest time at Houston, sitting in the top 10, and he fell in Vegas and went food to, uh, at Horseman's Park. They ran part of them there. And, well, I mean, they ran the whole go around there, and then you go into the building for the, for the, uh, performances and so he got hurt so i didn't get to finish the year off and i was probably in the top 10 seven or eight maybe and then i mean vegas is not good to me <laughs> the next year i'm sitting you know in the top 15 again and we ran it's convention center 
and we're Jimmy and I, Jimmy Monroe and I hauled together, and Jimmy and I were up during performance, and they went in there, and they said the horses and bulls were having trouble bucking. They took dirt out after the first performance. They took dirt out again after the second performance. Then we were up in third performance. Oh my gosh! And we went through. Went. I went through the concrete. I didn't think he's gonna get even stopped. He's just sliding on that in that concrete at the first barrel and kind of just got stopped at the fence and fractured a pelvis. So that pretty much ended his career. We, I gave him six months off and ran him some and won a little bit. But what happened with that fractured pelvis is that you never know how they're going to heal back. And you, his mind had healed a little off kilter. I don't mean, couldn't tell by looking at him, but it was, it would strain his groin. Okay. And same, same as people. Uh, it, that's what, that's what you get from that, even when it heals back. So, his career got cut short because of that fractured pelvis. Oh, geez. I didn't I didn't realize that. I knew it was an injury, but I thought it, I don't know, I thought it was a, a splint bone or a leg or something like that. No, no, actually, he was sound when he was 27. I mean, he probably had a little arthritis and being a barrel horse, <laughs> but I meant, you know, as far as good feet, uh, you know, same, he was, he had no lameness issues. Oh, so cool. Had had you stood him or bred him while you were running him, or did you just start standing him the year after that? I started standing him the year after, because Seeley had him in Colorado and stuff that derby year, so it just wasn't convenient. You know, you didn't freeze him in the end. I couldn't freeze it in breed mare, so we stood him that next year uh, when I was rodeoing some there at Houston, and that's the first year we stood him. And the second year, his second cult crop, he was uh, barrel horse sire of the year. And that was the year CD rode one that won a lot uh, for Carol Gibson. And uh, Kay, Kay Young won a lot on one. Kim Thomas won a lot on one. Then there were several plays, but those horses won a lot of big fraternities. And that but was that, out that of his second, second full crop? Right. Um. That I was just going to say, you know, you said you were never going to stand a stud again. <laughs> and then you yeah. end, end up standing one of the biggest names in stallions. How back then, you know, nowadays it's so easy with social media and, you know, at your fingertips. How did you advertise him or get the word out? Or was it mainly by word of mouth when he started becoming a stud? Actually, uh, then he was one of the first studs probably believe that competed you know okay. there wasn't a lot of studs competed and plus the fact uh you know i was forcing in the fact that his mother was so well known going to the nfr uh and his oldest brother she won a uh, season one fifth at fort smith on him the very first year they had fort smith and i won the derby on him the next year and his older sister frietta was an nfr horse had he was a third colt out of harletta and so he had two siblings that were already winners. And then uh, so many people in the barrel horse industry saw him at the derbies and then at the rodeos. He, his biggest following probably when I first stood him was rodeo people uh, because they all saw him at the rodeos. And one of my, one of the compliments that I always liked was uh, T. Woolman said he was a, one of the only barrel horses the Cowboys went to the fence to watch. <laughs> That's so, a pretty big compliment. Uh, compliment to me. And then Bobby Del Vecchio, he was a big champion bull rider. And he said, Can I ride him in the grand entry at the bar? 
That's I don't think you need to ride your granddad. But the Cowboys loved him. So that was kind of neat because back then, you know, they didn't pay much attention to barrel horses. Yeah, so it was mainly word of mouth, and I mean, people already knew what he was, so you probably didn't even have to try to spread the word much when he started standing. No, we just, you know, we use the quarter the, uh, horse news, barrel horse news for some ads and stuff, but yeah, he, he, he you know, went in in derbies with that different group of people and then going to rodeos with a different group, which some of the same, but, you know, he, uh, they pretty much saw him compete what was his stud fee that very first year oh my gosh do you remember a, a time ago. I, <laughs> i'm thinking maybe 1500 i don't know okay it's been, been a while i'm I just curious i mean i've seen the old ads before and i just think it's so cool how it's evolved and you know where those studs started from right well and you know he he was one of the first ones that people probably bred to for for a barrel horse. I mean, they specifically bred to him for a barrel horse. Now, Flipbar, his sire, a lot of the girls bred to him when he was old because they saw these others uh, out there winning. But uh, he, but Flipbar Flip was probably one of the first ones. And you had listed off some jockeys of those first uh, good horses, but what were some of his, like, first big-time foals? that came out of there and was like, okay, he, he's going to be a sire. Uh, well, Florida Flint, she, uh, she was one. And of course then, you know, Fiesta came along and Firewater Fanny and Firewater Cat. They were <clears throat> all NFR horses. And, and of course, uh, Fiesta was HUHAWPRA horse of the year twice. And what's, I'm proud of those two mares in particular because they are also big time producers, two yeah. of the biggest. Uh, yeah. Fanny, Fanny. And so, uh, and then there was a lot of, lot of barrel horses buying that didn't come up through the fraternities that different girls ran, just went to the rodeos on, you know, uh, that, you know, the, you know, the, a lot of the fraternity people wouldn't know, know of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Delcy Edmondson ran them, her one, and, she, and uh, that's the Blands from West Texas. She was a Bland. And a lot of, like I said, a lot of the rodeo girls. Sherry Altizer, she had one she won a ton on. Uh, so there was, a lot of them went to rodeos, you know, kind of straight to the rodeos. Maybe went to one fraternity or something. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, it goes to show that, you know, nowadays he has sons that are producing, but also his daughters are mega producers. So he's just influenced both sides of pedigree so much. Well, he's, he has 16 grand get go to the NFR and three world champions. So, and that's being out of some of them out of daughters and uh, some by sons. So. It's, it's both, you know, so there's three going this year's. So, uh, that, that's, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that, that, that sons and daughters both have produced really nice horses. Yeah. That's so cool. And so fun to watch. Um, it's, it's easy, you know, to talk about like the favorite moments and, and the highlights, but we all know breedings has its ups and downs. Was there any points in his career that, were difficult or that you're like, gosh, this is, this is more work than I wanted. Or, you know, was it just always worth it having him in the barn? 
Oh, it, it was always worth it. I mean, of course, you have years, uh, you know, economy might be slow, slower year or something, but I, I would never, I, I'd never say you had a bad year. Uh, so, no, it was, and he was so easy to deal with. Uh, you know, the only thing, the first year, after I quit calling him, he was like, every time you went to the bar, he'd come to the stall door. He, he was like ready to go. He wanted to go back. He, he liked to go rodeo, and so he kind of had to get used to that. Have you ever slept with the lights on? Could you do it for several nights in a row and still perform at your very best? Have you ever wondered about your horse? Unfortunately, at most big events, the lights must stay on all night long. But there is a solution. REM Restorative Equine Mask from Expert Equine. The REM mask blocks artificial light, allowing for optimal rest and recovery. My name is Bo Whitaker. I'm a veterinarian at Brazos Valley Equine Hospital in Slato, Texas. The whole goal of the REM mask is to prevent sleep deprivation. And sleep deprivation is going to lead to significant behavioral problems in horses. There are other things as far as stress goes, uh, gastric ulcers, a lot of things that can be secondary to the stress that you, you can see from sleep deprivation. So arrive at the show prepared with the revolutionary REM Restorative Equine Mask from Expert Equine. Yeah, being home, not getting on the trailer. Right. Um, when did you start like getting mares for your own broodmare band, and what was your favorite type of mare to cross on him? Well, uh, I, I bred uh, his flip bar mare, the mare that I went to finals on. I had a couple of flip bar mares to Bugs Line '75 when he first stood, first couple of years he stood, and we bred Horletta to him, and <clears throat> they crossed great. Seen him with the uh, NFR twice on Horletta's uh, son, My Bugs Alive, and then mine, we we did the same thing. We both had full siblings, and mine won about 100000 in the fraternities. That was no slots or anything. And so uh, that was a good cross with them. So, you know, I got Bugs Alive mares and Shawnee bug mares and, you know, because I felt like they could uh, not only run, but they pr produce performance horses. And, and so I I always felt like, you know, I didn't care how fast, uh, you know, these race mares are bred to him because I just always felt like he put a good mind on them and really uh, was athletic, really used his hind leg. And so, uh, I you know, I kind of went with the popular bloodlines, race bloodlines then to cross with him. And Celie's family, uh, her dad owned Tonnebar's Hank when he won the All-American, and he just was a believer and put, instilled in us that or should be able to run on the track and then come back and do any any performance event you want to do. That's what you should be racing. And so I kind of went, I kind of felt like he was exactly right. So, you know, I wanted something that could run, but something that you, you know, you could do other things on. I mean, he had several roping horses, too, besides the barrel horses, but uh, yeah, you know, I, that was, as a matter of fact, this stolen buckle they just had in Italy, the horse won every go around of the open, and a different horse won the maturity, and maybe one other one, were by a son of fire or a flit, it was out of a daughter of Bucks Alive. They oh. won everything over there. Oh, wow. And, and set an arena record. 
So uh, that still a great cross, and uh, and that stud's probably, oh, gosh, he'd have to be in his early 20s uh, that sired all those horses that just won all that. Oh, gosh, that's crazy. It's, yeah, yeah still yeah. winning de- decades <laughs> later. <clears throat> yes, I know it, and it was pretty exciting to watch them. They, they send me videos and stuff from over there, and, and uh, but, you know, that got a lot of publicity, that Golden Buckle, and me. that's their biggest event. And they said like 2,500 people were in the stands for the for their finals and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, it was pretty exciting to see that old bloodline, a bug's alive mixed with, you know, that son, if I were to flip bug's alive to produce those winners like that. Yeah, that's so cool. Nowadays, I mean, because you're still breeding. I mean, I, I we've scheduled this podcast around, you know, you running mares to the breeding farm and everything. Um, what, how has your like thoughts on the breeding evolved or changed? Or do you still kind of try to focus on, you know, those certain crosses that you like so much? Yeah, of course I've had to, you know, you've got more that change, you know, you didn't, you couldn't, I mean, I'd love to have another bug's live mare, but that's not that's impossible i didn't freeze semen then and stuff but so i've just evolved with the popular bloodlines as have as they've come along uh like dash to find crosses excellent with him i think he's and num- his daughters are number one producers of the jail dash to heavens uh <clears throat> which is dash to fame and so i just you know kind of gone along those lines i have uh, a couple of first moon flash brood bears and um, so just kind of gone along, you know, the jet decks period, period in there after Bugs Live, some of the jet decks and easy jets. And, and so just kind of progressed with the, with the race bloodlines. Okay. Kind of stick with those same type of crosses, but just venture out into different lines. Exactly. Just, uh, like I said, it's, it's different lines evolved in the race business. You know, you just had to go with, uh, you know, your different, your different breed mares, but, uh, and you still have some frozen for firewater flit, right? Yes. What yes. do you Let's hold see. those for for certain mares, or like what what are the type of mares that you like to see? I actually have two friends right now that have firewater flits in their barn, and it's so cool to see them. I mean, one is one has a two year old, and one has a, a four year old, I think. Um, and it's just so cool to see like true firewater flit, you know, daughters going to work every day. Right. Well, uh, yeah, we, we do, uh, of course, when we froze him, that's when it just started beginning with the AQHA. So, you know, we don't even have the amount of frozen semen that they do now in the youngsters because they'll freeze them in the off season now because they know they better, better do that in case something were to happen to them. So we, so we had to go with the ICSI. I'm like, we were one of the first ones to do the ICSI when it first year it was commercial with Texas A&M where they did it for the public. We, we did ICSI. Uh, with Florida Flint, we've been, you know, it's been really successful for us. Uh, he had good semen when he was live. His frozen was excellent, so we're very fortunate there. Uh, you know, you got to start there with that frozen. Uh, so we were we were fortunate that he did have excellent semen. Uh, so we do the ICSI procedure, and um, like I said, uh, I would say. <laughs> 70% of them that have been bred to him in the last probably 10 years have been Dash to Fame mares. Back even at first when a lot of the Dash to Fames hadn't been around long enough to be big producers, but just getting started, you know, getting started. So 
that is a lot of people felt like that's a good cross and it's turned out to be a good cross. It's cool to see to see more firewater foot still today. Looking back on your breeding career, what advice would you give yourself if, you know, you could talk to yourself when you were starting or to new breeders today? Well, one thing that, that uh, and I learned this, I managed a thoroughbred farm, ran a lot of top thoroughbred uh, trainers and breeders, is, uh, is, you know, don't just breed 200 mares. Or, you know, if your horse is popular one year, I, I think I've always wanted the people that bred to my horse, whatever his stuff he was at the time as it progressed, you know, along, uh, to be able to make money on their foal. And I think if you just flood the market with the horse's colts, no matter how great that horse is, uh, you know, you're going to hurt your your clients with what their foal's worth. And so that would be one thing that I would say is, you know, just if your horse is popular and won a lot, maturities or whatever come along, just, you know, try to hold them to a limit. I mean, like Lane's, he, she, Lemus, JL-7, I think is excellent. And it's, I mean, she's just what I can think of. Others do. Uh, but I think that's real important. And uh, because what happens, you know, you get a bunch out there on the market, and even these people with these great mares, uh, it hurts what their foal brings because, uh, well, I saw this one over here priced like this, you know. Uh, why you want so much for yours? And so I just always wanted people to be able to make money with their foals if they bred to him. Yeah, that's smart. Quite quality over quantity yes especially when i mean it's it's hard when the demand is so high um i was i was talking to lisa who owned the ain't seen nothing yet and she was really struggling with that you know because she tries to keep her books limited too and then you have all these requests and you always make people mad but you know if it's the best interest for your stud and the mare owners i don't think you can go wrong no you you, uh you can't I, uh, I just think that's the best thing to do. And that's what the thoroughbred people have always done. And you, you see that they have helped on to one of the best markets in the world, their yearlings. Uh, I mean, it's stay, always stayed steady uh, that they brought a lot. And, uh, of course, they, they put, you know, they put so much emphasis on their mares. Uh, you know, I remember going to Keeneland thoroughbred sales and, you know, yearlings come in there out of a great mare and just say a nice stud would bring a lot more than a and one a yearling come in there out of just a nice mare and a great stud. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that's just a few things I've learned uh, over the years. And I never wanted to keep, I never kept a ton of brood mares myself personally. I tried to be uh, picky about the mares, you know, that I, that I bought. I'd rather give more money for and have four or five than have 20 out there for the same money and not the quality. And so sometimes... At that time, you know, you're trying to get started. You can't just spend a ton of money on them. But I, even if I had to buy an older mare, uh, like at the Heritage or something, but had a big record and good bread, you know, sometimes you have to you have to start out with, you know, doing that. They don't cost you as much money. And then as you progress along, with, you know, just keep improving uh, on your mares or you start getting, you know, younger ones that'll last you longer. Yeah, that makes sense.
If you want to hear more of this story and more of Vicky's thoughts on being a breeder in our industry, make sure to download the Patreon app and search The Money Barrel. We appreciate all of our listeners that help support us and make these podcasts possible. Big shout out to Vicki Adams for giving us an inside look into the legacy of Firewater Flit. Don't forget to check out the REM mask from Expert Equine. Help your horse rest easier with the REM mask. Visit xpertequine.com for more information. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.